<laughs> Preach the word, and we're, we're starting to hear it in other languages now. It's what we're getting. Last week we got Spanish, and this week I don't see where... There he is, Alex back there, uh, just said, Preach the word. He said it in the... Uh, in the na- he's a Native American from the Navajo Nation, and that was in Navajo, and he told me to preach the word. So I'll say, oat, which means yes. <laughs> he told me what that word means. <laughs> it's great to be here with you guys today. I, I just have one thing about going on in, in our community that I want to say before we start to preach the word this morning, and that is that uh, we have... Uh, over here at Eastern New Mexico University, we have the great privilege of being able to have the Bible taught. And I have the great honor of getting to teach some of those classes. And so that's what uh, I'm, I'm going to be getting to do this semester. And I'm inviting you, if you would like to be a part of that, to uh, join us on uh, uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays from 5 to 6.15. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 5 to 6.15. And it's the Old Testament survey. And we kind of skip across a rock, uh, skip, skip a rock across the Old Testament. And, you know, for years, I, under, I know a lot of stories in the Old Testament. I grew up in the church, and maybe you're that way. You know David and Goliath. You know Moses and the Ten Commandments. You know, you know uh, Noah and, and uh, the boat, right? Am I saying that right? Yeah, that's it. Noah and the ark. Yeah, there you go. And, and you, know, you know the stories. But forever, I never, I, I never put the big story together of all those little stories. And that's what we do in that class. And so if that is appealing to you and you think, man, I'd love to spend 15 weeks of my life reading one of the most important documents that's ever been written and understanding the Old Testament better, then I'd like to invite you to sign up for that class. You need to go to ENMU. You can sign up, and that starts Tuesday at 5 o'clock. And uh, there's a cost to it, and uh, I'm not going to, you know say it's well worth it, but I appreciate what Wyatt said last week. It's a, it's a place to get a nap, okay, for an hour and 15 minutes every, twice a week. That's not a, bad, that's not a bad deal. So I would love for some of you that are thinking about that to sign up and join us this Tuesday. Well, we're going to preach the Word this morning, and I, I spend a lot of time working on uh, planning when, when I'm working on how we're going to do the sermons that we're going to do and when we're going to do the sermons that we're going to do. And so this particular little short series, I specifically planned it for this time of the year. Here's one of the reasons, because it is, what we're going to talk about today, some of it is just gateway family business. And this is a great time of year to do that. We're back after the new year, we're back on our routine, we're back here at church on Sunday morning, and there's no visitors here. Wrong. I, I couldn't believe it. We have the Sparks wedding, and we have more visitors than we ever have this time of year, this morning. And when I started realizing all these people are hanging around today, I thought, well, I'm sorry that they're going to have to you know, be a part of some family business. But we're going we're gonna to do a little bit of that, but there's still going to be a lot from God's Word that's going to be a blessing for every single person who's here today. And uh, so I'm, I'm encouraging you to open up to Psalm 95. We're going to get there in just a moment. We're in, we're in this series called The Weight of Glory. We started it last week, and if you didn't get to hear that sermon, and you're from here at Gateway, or even if you're not, but specifically those of you from Gateway, I'd encourage you to go and listen to that, ser- that sermon online. That sermon uh, really is, is, I believe, an important sermon for our church family, for us to think about, are we letting God rearrange our lives? Does he, is He the one who gets to decide what changes? We're talking about that right now because it's the new year. It's the time of year when we think about making what? New Year's 
resolutions, right? New Year's resolutions. I really I love this, uh, this little picture I found of a guy who made New Year's resolutions, and he made these for several years, and he just used the same piece of paper. You know, he thinks, why, you know, why kill trees? I'll just use the same piece of paper. So what, the first year he writes in the pencil in black, and the second year in red, and the next year in blue, and the last year in green. And so you can kind of see the, the progression of his New Year's resolutions. And this is what it is. Number one, he says, first, I want to lose weight. Well, the next year he says, I want to lose more weight. And 2012, he says, I want to lose weight again. All right, so he's kind of got back up to where he was. Then he says, I want to get fit. Well, a couple of years later, he says, I think I'll do that next year. That's when I want to get fit. Then he said, um, I want to give up. Let's see if I can move that. I want to give up alcohol is what he said the first year. The next year, he wasn't doing so well. He had to add cigarettes to that. Give up alcohol and cigarettes. And finally, he just gave up and he said, I just want to drink less. That's all I'm going to try for. All right. Number four, he says, I'm going to stand up to my boss. Well, a couple of years later, he says, I need to find a new job. All right. Good. <laughs> Number five, he says, I'm going to be nicer to my wife. Well, the next year he says, I'm going to try to be nicer to my wife. And finally, he has to say, uh, uh, three years later, I'm going to try to be nicer to my ex-wife. Okay? It's kind of going downhill. And number six, he says, sort out the junk in the shed. And then three years later, he says, I've got to sort out the junk in my life. All right? There's some honesty in all that because these resolutions, sometimes they just can slide downhill, especially when we're trying to decide, what am I going to change in my life? But I encouraged you last week, as we looked at God's Word, to think about inviting God to, full, to fall full force into your life, a lot like a boulder falling in water. And that's why I have this picture here. When a boulder falls in water, the water has to rearrange around the weight of the boulder. And God has so much weight, we want Him to fall full force into our life, and we want Him to be able to rearrange anything in our life that He wants to. We want to make Him the very center of our life. And so we're going to continue to think about this for today and for next week as well. And we're going to do that from Psalm 95. So pray with me and then we'll read from God's Word. Lord, what a blessing to be here today. What a blessing to be a part of this family. Of such diversity, God. It's just evident that if it wasn't for you, this group of people wouldn't be together. We're here because of one person, and that's Jesus Christ. So today, God, we pray that the weight of His glory would fall into our life, that we would indeed be willing to rearrange around anything that He asks us to. Holy Spirit, we're inviting you today to teach us. You promised us that you would be our teacher. So we ask you to do that today. In spite of the weaknesses uh, that I have, God, we pray that you would do great work in people's hearts. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, and we pray it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and extol Him with music and with song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In His hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to Him. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Today, if you hear His voice, 
Do not harden your heart as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me. Though they had seen what I did, for 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said they are a people whose hearts go astray. They have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. This has been a psalm for Christians for many centuries that has has been one of the center of worship, a place to go and see what do we do when we want to worship God, the Lord Almighty. And this has been one of those places that Christians have always gone to to find that. This psalm really answers three questions for us, and here they are. The three questions are, what is worship? And why worship? And how do we worship? Now I'm going to tell you up front, today we're only going to get to question number one. And next week we're going to look at question number two and three. But today we're going to talk through, from Psalm 95, what is worship? After we talk about that a little bit, we're going to take, we're going to take a little field trip into something that's very practical about worship and about our church family. We're going to give you an opportunity to think a bit about how that one part of your life is going and how you can consider if God is calling you to make any changes. And so, like I said, next week we'll look at the next two questions. But here's the question. What is worship? And it is the act of ascribing glory to someone or something. Now, those are, that's language that we just don't say. I challenged you to use that word this week. I mean, last week I said, try using the word ascribe. And we just, you probably didn't. We don't say ascribe glory. And so that's what we really did last week. We unpacked what does it mean to ascribe glory. And that's why I'm encouraging you to go back and maybe listen to that. But essentially it is to give to, to recognize and bring to someone the the weight that they deserve. Glory, one of the meanings is weight. So bring the weight that they deserve in our life. But that must be done in a way... Not just that it's a little box, like, oh, I'm going to, quote-unquote, go to worship. I say that sentence pretty often. I'll see you guys at worship. That's okay. I'm not, I'm not trying to be too picky here. I'm just saying I'm trying to reveal to us we can compartmentalize it and say worship is just one little thing that I do. And that's not true. Worship needs to be all of our life ascribing glory to someone or something. And it's in a way that needs to... that involves our whole person, our emotions, our will, and our reason. And we see those right here in this psalm, in Psalm 95. If you have your Bibles open, you can see in verse 1, singing, joy, shouting. There's this emotion that's involved in that we bring that to God. We bring our emotions when we are worshiping Him. But not just our our emotions. Verse 6, come let us bow down. Let us kneel. We also bring our will. We bring our life. We bring the activities of our life under His control and His submission. And verse 8, right before verse 8, in verse 7, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. We also bring our reasoning that we listen to God. We listen to what He says. We listen to His words. and, And that we let those influence our life. You can't just do one of these. You can't just choose one and say, I'm just going to do that one. That's worship for me. It has to be all three or it's not really worship. You can't go and say, oh man, I went to church and it was so emotional, it was great worship. I'm not saying saying worship can't be emotional. 
certainly should be. That's part of who we are. But if that's all it is, if it doesn't also change your life when you leave, the patterns of your life, your actions, your words, the way you treat your family, if none of that changes, and you say, but it was so emotional, that's not worship. That's just, that's just sort of great feelings is what that is. It's great feelings. I like the story that I, that I uh, heard about, uh, I read about a missionary who uh, was, was in a third world country and she was on a medical mission trip, and she was a, a part of the medical community, and she was helping there, and, and, uh, and they didn't have good water in this place where she was at. And so they had lots of sicknesses and, and lots of problems, and so they were helping people. And during the time while she was working, she heard some singing outside, and she went outside and she saw the ladies of the village, and they were singing, just singing, and, and, and the, the, the emotion of the song that she felt I mean, I mean, the harmonies and, and, and the rhythm and, and the way that it just kind of gave her goosebumps. She thought, oh, she started crying. She thought, what a great, amazing worship song that these, that these ladies are singing. And she asked an interpreter to tell her, you know, what is, what is the great song? What is the great song that they're singing? And the lady said, they're singing, if we boil water, we will not get dysentery. Not a great worship song. She had the emotion. She felt it. She was, you know, oh, she got the you know, tingly stuff. But no, it, it, it didn't all match. It wasn't the whole deal. Well, we can also be people maybe who just reason. We're maybe very good in our brain, and we're very good at studying the Bible, and we can outline, and we can put the doctrines all in order, and we can do all this stuff with our reasoning. But if we never experience the joy of God's presence, it's not worship just a head trip or we can be people who do and do and do and do and do and i'm going to tell you on some level that's who gateway is we are doing people I'm not slamming that I'm not saying anything wrong with that i'm glad we are we're people who put things into action but you know what we can do and do and do and, and never really engage God with our mind, with our reason, if we can not really understand who He is, that's not worship. That really turns, turns into rituals. It's just working rituals is all that is. Worship involves all three. And it is connected to who He is. It has to be connected to who He is. One of the key words in Psalm 95 is the word for. A little word for, F-O-R. If you look, you'll find it in verse 3. After he says this great emotional stuff, let's come and let's sing and let's shout and let's give thanksgiving. Verse 3, 4. The Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In His hands are the depths of the earth. The mountain peaks belong to Him. The sea is His, for He made it. His hands formed the dry land. I mean, it says... You know, yeah, we want to have this emotional experience. Why? Why are we going to do that? Because of who He is. It has to be connected. If we look in verse 7, after, after we go to verse 6, let's bow, let's kneel. Okay, verse 7, for He is our God. We are His people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Why? Why do we want to bow our life? Because He's our great shepherd. That's why. Because of who He is. I think the best way to illustrate this, maybe that I can think of anyways, is for you to think with me, if you can imagine a woman who, who had a piece of jewelry. 
She's got a piece of jewelry, and, and it's, a, it's been around in the family for, for a long time. I mean, her mom gave it to her, and her mom told her, you know, that, oh yeah, your aunt gave that to me, and, and I think your, you know, your aunt's mother, and it may have gone back generations. I mean, it's been around the family forever, and it's not necessarily all that you know, beautiful necessarily. It's okay. Uh, it's pretty cool. And, and they have it around the family. Sometimes they know where it is. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's in a junk drawer. Sometimes the, the grandkids take it out and they play with it. Sometimes it gets taken over to, you know, a relative's house and then they bring it back. Say, oh, we forgot, you know, we took this home. And, and so it gets passed around. But it's, it's just something that's, it's, it's just there. And one day the lady thinks, maybe I should, maybe I should take this and get it appraised. So she takes it to a jeweler, and she tells the jeweler what I just told you, and, and the jeweler takes the, the piece of jewelry, and, and he's never really seen anything exactly like it. He doesn't recognize it immediately, but he says, I'll take a look, and we'll see if it's real or not, and see what, what we can find out. And so he gets out his, he gets out his, little, his little eye thingy. What is it? Jeweler's loop. That's what I meant to say. That was on the tip of my tongue right there. He gets out his jeweler's loop and, and he puts it in there and he gets this and he gets some light and he shines it down on it and he starts to look through it. And he starts to look at the color and he starts to look at the cut and he starts to look at the way the light refracts. And in the middle of looking, the, the little jeweler's loop begins to shake and, and, and it falls out because he is shaking. He is shaking. Because after just a few minutes, he suddenly realizes that this is... This is a piece of jewelry that is unique. He has read about it when he was going to school. His mentors have told him about this kind of jewelry, but, but the craft that even creates this kind of jewelry has disappeared off the face of the earth. Nobody even knows how to do this kind of jewelry anymore. And he realizes that he is in the presence of something that is worth more than all the jewelry in his shop. And in fact, he realizes he's in the presence of something that's worth more than all the jewelry that's been in his store for 30 years. It is priceless. And as he begins to describe this to the woman, she also is sh shooken. Is that a word? Shooken? Shaked? Shucked? I don't know. She, she's... <laughs> That was awesome. I wish I would have wrote that in my notes, man. That would have been, if I was that smart, that would be great. So she, she is, I mean, just undone. She cannot believe what he is telling her. And here she has lived all of her life, plus generations before her have lived all their life in the presence of something priceless. And it's just there. It's just there. But suddenly, when she ascribes that jewelry, the glory that it deserves, the weight that it deserves, that they have been taking for granted, everything changes. The reason that's a good illustration is because the word worship is very closely akin to, to the old English word worth-ship. To give something worth is worship. And it starts... Worship starts rationally. It starts by examining who is God, looking at Him, studying Him. And then it moves to something emotional, and it moves to things that change our life and make us act in certain ways. But you know as well as I do that most people in America 
polls have been taken. Most people in America say, I believe in a God. Sure, I believe in God. But they believe in Him like that woman who had that jewelry that's just around the house. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter. It's just something that they say, yeah, sure, that's real. Sure. Worship is to recognize and to ascribe glory. That is what worship is. And we'll be coming back next week to look at, well, well what about why do we worship and how do we worship? But we've got to remember that this worship has to be all, our, all of ourselves, our emotion, our will, and our reasons. And I'm going to talk for a few minutes now about our will, okay? I'm talking about uh, you know, our willpower. And I, I believe that more than maybe anything else that shows, uh, that, that shows what our will is, what our actions and our lifestyle are, there's two things. If you want to examine, is my lifestyle and my actions and my will, are they lined up with God? Here's two things to ask yourself. Number one, how do I spend my time? Because your time is valuable. And you'll only give your time to the things that you are giving worth to. You'll only give your time to things that you, on some level, worship. And the second thing is money. You want to see? You want to find out? Are you lining up with God? Are you lining yourself up? And are you in worship of Him? Well, look at your money. Because you'll only give your money to something that you give worth to and on some level that you worship. As we begin to look at God and we see what He's like, I want to remind you of something we've talked about before, and that is we will look like, we will begin to resemble our God, whoever your God is. Now all of us would say, my God is Jehovah God. My God is Jesus Christ. My God is the Holy Spirit. And if that is true in all of you as a person, not just in your mind or not just in your emotions, then you will begin to look like this God. And guess what this God looks like? He is generous. Matthew chapter 20 tells us our God is generous. Titus chapter 3 tells us that He is generous to give us the Holy Spirit. You want the Holy Spirit? Ask Him. He is generous to give the Holy Spirit. James chapter 1 tells us He is generous to hand out wisdom. You need wisdom for something going on in your life? Ask God. He is generous to pour out wisdom to you. And as we serve Him, we're going to become more and more and more generous. And so today, we're going to talk about God through giving. And it was so funny to me last week when Brian said, by the way, uh, uh, Brandon did a great job in what he said about giving last week. That was, that was the best ever, you know. And, and then Brian said, every minister I know that I've ever met, you know, hates to talk about giving. Well, I hadn't told Brian yet that that's what I was going to be talking about this week. And I've got to tell you this, though. I, it's not my favorite subject to talk about. But I'm not afraid to talk about it either. I'm not afraid to talk about it at all. Because I'm not just talking about money. We're talking about our hearts. We're talking about looking like God. We're talking about being generous. And so if we always avoid the subject of money and giving, it doesn't give us the opportunity to discuss that and talk and grow in becoming more generous like our God. George Barna does polls of people, especially Christians, and he has done a poll that's hard for me to believe. But this is what he said. One out of every four Christians who attend church give 
nothing. I can't even get my brain around that. I, I don't even believe him. And, and I, I've wondered even if maybe that, that he was, he's talking about maybe they don't give money like a check maybe at church. Maybe that's what he's talking about. Because I know there's lots of giving that goes on that's not here at Gateway. There are many people who give in many other ways, not in a basket at church. But I can't imagine that that's actually accurate. But we do have to admit that we struggle with being stingy. I, I like the story I heard about the guy. He, he was an older man and he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And he was known to be the stingiest guy in town. He had never given anybody anything. And he was pretty, pretty well off and could have given, given a lot away. But he, he was very stingy. And he told his wife, as he was getting close to his death, he was at his house, on his bed, and he was gonna, that's where he's going to die. And he said, I want you to go to the bank, I want you to get all the money out of the bank, I want you to put it in two trash bags, and I want you to put it right above my bed in the attic. He said, there's an old saying that says you can't take it with you when you leave, and he said, I am going to defy that. He said, when I die, the day I die, and the day I leave and I go through the ceiling, and I'm going to heaven, he said, I want to grab both those bags, and I'm taking them both with me. And she's like, all right, honey, you know, whatever. And so she goes down, and she fills the bags up. She gets all the money out. She fills them up, puts them in the attic. And, and sure enough, the man does die, and they have the funeral, and the family's all there, and you know, several days go by, and everything settles down. Now everybody's gone, and she's the widow. She's there by herself at the house. She goes, well, I'm going to go up and see if it worked. She goes up in the attic, and sure enough, both the bags of money are still sitting right there, right above his bed in the attic. And she said, I knew, I knew I should have put those in the basement right below his bed. I knew I should have. It's hard for me to believe that people who are experiencing the generosity of God would not give anything. I just can't believe it. It's outside of my understanding. But ultimately, I want, you to under, I want you to understand this. This is not about what I understand. This isn't about what I know about you, and I don't know about what anybody gives here. Nothing. Zero. One time, a person tried to tell me who had access to some of that, tried to tell me what somebody gave, and I said, ah, 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 stop, stop. Don't ever, ever, ever tell me what anybody in this church gives. I don't want to know. That's between you and your God. That's what that's between. This is not about me and what I think. I'm not here to twist your arm. I'm not here to make you feel guilty. I'm not here to make you feel bad. I'm not afraid to talk about giving, though, and this is another reason, because I'm, I'm not interested so much in your pocketbook or your money or what, what you do with that, but I am interested in your heart. I love you guys. My Gateway family, I love you guys. And I want to see all of us, starting with me, to grow in this area of becoming more and more and more generous. Look at what Paul says real quick. Just a couple of quick scriptures. He says to the church at Corinth, there's a church there in the place called Corinth, and he says to them, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in His kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. He says, look, there's some other churches. You're at Corinth. Here's some other churches over to a place called Macedonia. Let me tell you what they've done. They're being tested by many troubles, and they're very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. Paul says, this other place called Macedonia, they have troubles. Man, they got some financial problems over there. But you know what? They, they have overflowed 
with generosity. They have, he, he goes on a little bit later, we're not going to read this, but you can see it in 2 Corinthians 8. He says they gave themselves to God first, then they gave their money. And then he says a little bit later down in verse 7, I believe, yeah, verse 7 he says, to the church in Corinth again now. That's Macedonia. Now you guys in Corinth, he says, since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. Paul is saying, you're gifted in many, many ways. Keep growing. Keep growing in this way of giving. Now some of you, I can already tell you, are going to leave here today. And I guarantee you this is what you're going to talk about at lunch. All right? I'm going to tell you right now. Here it is. This is what you're going to talk about at lunch. You're going to say, those leaders up at Gateway want something from me. That's why they did that. They want something from me. And I'm going to tell you, that's not what this lesson is about. That's not what this lesson is about. It's not true. What we do want is we want something for you. Now you may say, well, that's semantics. Come on, John. But I don't believe that. We're not just here to try to get something from you. We care about you. We care about you growing, your heart growing, and growing in generosity. And so we're here wanting something for you. What is it we want? Well, this is the first thing. We want to commend you for your giving. We want to commend you for your giving. You guys are great givers. Awesome. I'm about to show you in just a minute how great of givers you are. And this is the other thing we want to do. We want you, this is what we want for you, we want you to continue to grow in, what is the word? Everybody say it. One, two, three. We want you to continue to grow in generosity. And so I want to show you, I'm going to show you in about five slides here, five or six slides, I'm going to show you, uh, I'm going to try to boil all this down, and I'm going to try to show you, first of all, how generous you have been this year. Take a look at this. In 2012, last year, you gave $312,000. That's about $6,000 a week. And you may say, well, I look at the bulletin. It never says $6,000. That's because lots of people don't give during this time. They give online. I mean, they, not online. They give, uh, what's that called? The, uh, what's it called? Withdrawal, the automatic withdrawal. Other people just come by and they just drop checks off. People give in all kinds of ways here. And so I want to say to you, who've given $312,000 this year, you have overflowed in rich generosity. Great job. I'm proud of you. And I think God's proud of you. So, way to go. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Good job. And also, this year, $204,000 was given to help people who lost their homes in the Little Bear Fire. Now, some of that was given by people from Gateway, and a big chunk of that was given from people that live in Texas who gave that to Gateway and said, we are going to trust you with these funds to give them out to people whose houses burned down. So, that's a lot of giving from you. And because of your generosity, and also because we've only been paying one full-time staff person, that's me, and we've been paying... Uh, part-time, and then before, for a little while, we are paying another part-time, so a couple of part-time people. Because of your generosity and because of who we've been paying, we have built up quite a buffer in the bank. And I'm going to show you that today, okay? Now, Joe has all this. Where's Joe? Joe's over there. If you, Joe Buchanan, if you want to see this, you want to see all the details, you go see Joe. He's got all of it on paper. He'll explain any question you have. But this is what I'm going to do, Okay. I'm going to boil it down for simple dummies like me, all right? I, I don't understand everything Joe says, but I'm going to boil it down to what I can understand. And here it is right here. First of all, I'm going to show you what we have in our bank account. We have $243,000 in our bank account right now. 
And we have a money market where there's a little bit of interest, and that's a good idea. We get a little bit of interest at $57,000. You know what it comes up to? About $300,000 that we have in the bank. That's a lot of money. Some people may say, well, I don't need to be given any money. You got $300,000. What are we talking about this for? Well, let's keep going, okay? These next three lines right here are the things that are set aside that we just don't want to touch. First of all, we, we've uh, agreed we're not going to touch that $102,000. We've already spent about half that money that was given, and now we're still helping people. that are, their, their houses burned down. There's a building fund for Feliciano Boleyn, one of our missionaries, for $5,000. And then the elders have decided to, set, to just say, we're going to have two and a half months of reserve, an emergency fund. And, and you may or may not agree with that, but I think you can understand that. I mean, some of us in our budget, we have an emergency. I got a little emergency fund, you know, in the bank. And so if something happens, I got a little bit of money there so I can, I can handle uh, things that come along. So our money that we have available right now is $133,000. And that's what you gave because you are generous. You're generous givers. And I, and, and I want you to know I'm, I'm thankful for that. And we want to use that money in ways that helps God's kingdom grow. And there's, there's three things I'm going to tell you real quick that we're going to do this year. One of them is we're going to increase some mission opportunities. I'll show you that in a minute. We're also going to repair some things in our building here. This is an old building, and, and we take good care of it, but we've got to get some things repaired. I was helping out one day with the sound during the singing, and I could smell it smoking. Yeah, I could smell the smoke. It's about a 25-year-old board. We're about to get, going to get some new equipment in here so that uh, usually one speaker works and sometimes the other one, but you have to bang on it. Bang over here and then over there and hit it on the side and then you can get both of them to work, okay? And so we're going to upgrade some things on our building also and we're also going to, Lord willing, we're going to get started with a new youth minister. And so these are some of the things that we're going to use some of this money for. So here, I'm going to show you a budget for 2013. I'm going to, and there's four slides in this budget, all right? So hang in there for four slides. Here we go. Uh, five slides, sorry. Here's just the overall deal. $292,000 budget for 2013. And you can see how it's broken up. First, the staff and ministries is the blue area, 48%. The facilities is 31%, the, the red area. And then helping people is the green area, 15%. And missions is 6%. Now, you may look at that and you may say, well, man, we sure, do, we sure are selfish ourselves. We sure take care of ourselves good, but we don't help other people out there. But I don't believe that's true. I believe the things that we do here are for God's glory and for helping other people. That's the whole point of why we do the things that we do here with our staff and with uh, our, our ministries and with our building. So let's just break this down real quick, and I'm not going to read through all these. You can read them as I talk. But staff and ministries covers some of these things right here that you see. Now, there are a lot of ministries that don't cost money. But hopefully, they're supported and they're inspired by those of us who are employed here. That's our job, is to help equip the saints. It's part of what the elders are doing. Equip the saints for good works. There's some ministries that are kind of starting up this year that I'm really, I feel really excited about. One of them is, it started in 2012, and that's Discipleship Partners discipleship partners, and that is to take someone who's a brand new Christian. They just started their walk. Right here on the line, they started their walk. They've only been a Christian for a little while. They don't really know, and we partnered them up with someone that's way down the road over here. This person's been walking for a long time, and we get those two people together, and they meet regularly and learn from one another, and this person is learning. How do I, what does the Bible mean? Who is God? How do I live this Christian life? And if you're a young Christian, if you're somebody who's just getting started in your journey, even if it's been several years, but you feel like, I just don't know, we would love, we have people waiting, lined up to partner you with in Discipleship Partners. 
We're going to do some leadership organization and some training coming up this year. There's, there's a, a possibility we may be helping out with a community garden. We'll be telling you more about that real soon. So these are some ministries that are going on. There's a jail ministry that's getting going. Some ladies are doing that, and they're going to go through some, uh, get approved on some things. And I think maybe I heard that Wyatt might even be helping out with some of that. So we've got a jail ministry that, that may be starting. And these are all things that God has put on people's hearts, and they've started. Okay? There's most important to me is the personal ministry of each of you individually of the way you live and act and work and treat the people around you. And hopefully when you come here, you don't come here to be selfish and get what you want. You come here to get filled up so you can go back out of this building and serve out there. That is the ministries that are most important, in my opinion, of what we do here. Secondly is facilities. You can see right there some of the things that we have to spend money on for our facilities and that may seem like a lot to you for a building, but I want you to think for a minute about all the great ways our building is used to help our community, to serve people, and to reach out to people that we get to rub shoulders with. Now, you know about worship, and you know about classes, you know about VBS, you know about weddings and funerals, and we have fifth quarters here for the kids after, you know, and stuff like that. You know about that stuff. But there may be some things you don't know about that we do here on, on a fairly, some of them are fairly regular basis. We, we have blood drives here in our building that are used here, and they use our building for free. We've had marriage seminars here. We have military people come here for marriage seminar. They come from El Paso and to get their marriages strengthened. Family reunions, community and club meetings, training seminars for workers in the village, Little League, Girl Scouts. We've had this as an emergency shelter in so many ways. The Little Bear Fire and what we did with our gym and the way we help people. Overnight groups that stay here. I bet most of you don't know what I'm about to say, and that is every week, several times a week, I would say, people come in here and take a shower. That's how they use our building. Because they're either homeless, or their water doesn't work, or they're passing through town and they stink, and they need a shower, all right? And so we say that our building is to use for God's glory and to help people. That's how that is connected. And then as we look at helping people, a big, huge part of that, and a big part of our DNA of who we are at Gateway is our Christian services. And the great job that they do, that Margot and Don do, and all the volunteers over there, and I just thank them. I am so impressed and love them so much. They help so many people, and I am so grateful for them. I don't know, if is Margo here today? And, and there's a, other volunteers that are here that you know. Would you guys thank them for what they do? Would you guys do that? And there are other ways besides Christian services that we also help people and, and, and give to people and... Uh, and, and so all of those things, again, they are for God's glory. That's the reason we do all the things that we decide to do. And then lastly, I want to talk to you just a little bit about missions. And I'm going to slow down and go through these just individually because I think there's been some misunderstanding in our church, and I think there's been some things said that are not true in our church. And I'm going to make things crystal clear that are true in our church. Okay, you ready? Here they are. Number one, Feliciano Boleyn is a missionary to the Philippines, and our church writes checks to him for $4,500 a year. That's out of our budget for Gateway. You give the money, we budget it, we write checks to Feliciano Boleyn. Other people give more money, and sometimes they give it to Gateway, and we send that on top of the $4,500. Okay? That's number one. Number two, Rua Diego. For at least a year, maybe a little longer, we've been giving $1,800 a year to Rua Diego. This is a missionary in Brazil. And it gets sent to the, his, his church that supports him, and other people give money to Rio Diego, and we put that on top of the $1,800 that comes out of our budget, written out every month to go to Rio Diego and the good work. He's been here before, and a lot of us have met him. He's a great guy. 
Armin and Jacqueline. Armin grew up here. They're in China. Our church gives Armin and Jacqueline $1,200 a year. That comes out of our budget. We write them a check every month. We've been doing that for a long time. Three or four, Well, I don't want to exaggerate, but we've been doing it for a good long while. Armin and Jacqueline, $1,200 a year. Thomas Garaki, he's a guy that we pray for, a missionary. And uh, Thomas Garaki was in a Chinese country, and he came back. And he's living in, is it Nebraska, Jim? Is that right? He's living in Nebraska. And our contact with him is Jim. Jim knows him. He knew, he, I think you saw him grow up, watched him grow up, knows his family. And so that's our contact with Thomas Garaki. He's moved back to Nebraska, and he is translating the Bible into the dialect of the people where he was working. And that's what he's doing. He's working his, on his own. We're not sending him any money right now. He's not asking for any money. But we're staying in touch with him, and we pray for him regularly. And we may at some time send him some money. And, and then there's a couple of things that uh, also in our community, this is some money that we give to the Christian radio station every month, and then some other things that we just keep available for mission opportunities. When people come and say, I'm going to go on this mission trip, or I'm going to do this or that. And so these are things that we've got set aside in our budget. And then these are two new things that we want to do this year. Starting this month, we want to give... Uh, in this year, in the year 2013, $1,200 to the Patalis Children's Home. We're also participating with them in other ways. And then Wyatt Sparks, our own very own missionary elder extraordinaire right here from Gateway, who goes to Mexico and puts his life in danger, and several of us have gone with him too, but he's the lead guy in this, and we're going to be giving him $4,800 this year for the work that's going on in Mexico for missions there. We can do these things. We can add these new things. We can support these missionaries. Why? Because of your generosity. And these things are to help people learn and hear the gospel and to glorify God. That's what these are for. Now, you notice this. We're almost done. We're at the end. The the thing that's missing out of our budget is a youth minister. A youth minister is not in this budget. What about the youth minister? Well, let me tell you this. We have been looking at youth ministers that are successful, they have a track record as a leader, they're not somebody that might do a good job, we know they are doing a great job where they live, and we are inviting them to come, and we've met some of those youth ministers, and none of them yet have said, yes, I'm going to move here. All right, But they're saying, I'm interested and I'll pray about it. And they're mostly interested because we've been telling them about you. And they're like, this sounds like a very cool church family that we might like to consider being a part of. It's expensive to live in Rudoso. You're going to move somebody who's got experience and got a family to, to Rudoso? It is not, it is not uh, cheap. And so how are we going to pay for that? Well, uh, we can start with the money that you've given already, that $132,000 that we have that's available in the bank. We can start with that. There, like we said, there's some other things we're going to spend that on, some mission things and some buildings to, to do some stuff at the building. And we can get started, but in order for the budget to sustain a youth minister's salary, we're going to need to increase our budget over the next couple of years by about 15% in order to sustain a youth minister. So here's what I'm going to tell you, is that because of that, this is what Amy and I have decided that we're going to do. We're just going to tell you this is what we're going to do. And that is the day we hire a full-time youth minister at this church, Amy and I are going to increase the giving that we give right now by 10%. That's what we're going to do. Now, if you want to join us, you can. That'll get us started toward that 15% in a couple of years. Maybe in another year we can increase it another 5%. We'll see. But here's the deal. We're going to increase it 10%. If you wanted to do that, let me break that down for you real simple. If you're a person who gives $100 a week, if that's you, you put $100 in the plate every week, then if you wanted to join Amy and I in what we're doing, you'd need to give how much? 100 and 
$10. There you go. Yeah, you guys, boy, you guys are smart. And then if you give $50 a week, then if you wanted to give 10% more, you'd give $55 a week. If you're a person who gives $5 a week and you wanted to give 10% more, you need to be bring your $5 bill and two quarters, okay? And that would be 10%. And that may not seem like much, but as you spread that out over a lot of people, if everybody had that heart, then, then our giving goes up 10%. And what's more important than our budget is your heart grows more generous. That's what it's going to happen to Amy and I. We're going to get to participate in this ministry that's going on here at Gateway, and our hearts are going to grow more generous. And that's what I'm excited about. As we finish today, let me just say this. If Barna, the guy that does, the, does those polls, if he's right, and if there really are people who are experiencing all of God's generosity and goodness and giving nothing, if you're one of those people and you give nothing, if that's you, I want to talk to you for just a couple of seconds. And I'm going to encourage you to do something today, this week. I'm going to encourage you to pray that God would make your heart more generous. If you're a person that goes to this church and you're wealthy, and you give 10, 15, 20% of your money but it really doesn't matter. I mean, nothing changes in your life. Everything's the same. I'd like to encourage you to say a prayer to God, to ask God to help you to be more generous. If you're a person who's barely making it by, you don't know if you can pay the bills this week. If that's you, but you're giving as much as you can give from a generous heart, then let me say to you what Jesus said about the woman who gave two little coins. You are giving more than everybody else here. Good job. How can God say that? Because God is looking at our hearts and He's checking to see, generous or stingy? And we, we can evaluate where we're at and then we can ask God, make me more generous. We started in Psalm 95 with worship. That we worship with our emotions, our mind, and our will. And giving is a part of our worship. Giving is a part of our worship. It flows from a heart that has examined this beautiful and generous God and is ascribing to Him glory. The weight He deserves. And so that's what I want to invite you to do right now. We're going to stand, a song. We're going to stand and sing a song that gives Him glory. It gives Him our life. Sing it with all your heart. Let's stand and sing. My heart, my mind, my 